Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, I have a co-host with me. Please welcome my husband, Brian, to the show. Hello, everybody. I usually introduce him as Brian and the Beard. Those of you who aren't watching this on YouTube can't see his full beard down to the middle of his chest. (laughs) So with his camo, bandana, and his sunglasses, he could pass for Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty. So you could probably do all kinds of famous people, huh? Who, me? Oh, I could probably do uh, Gandalf from The Lord of the Rings. Uh, who else? Um, any wizard or warlock. Um, your average biker dude, if I get tattoos sleeved all over my arms. He doesn't have any tattoos. Yeah, you were Santa last year you dressed up. Oh, uh, Let's see, when we were in Paris, everybody thought that you were a Jew with your long beard because nobody in Paris wears a long beard except the Jews. Uh, We went to Giverny, France, and we went to Claude Monet's house and a lot of people thought that you were trying to impersonate Claude Monet, which was really cool. I think you asked me once to make you a Moses costume so you could dress up as Moses one year. So, yeah, you could be all kinds of characters. I think his voice sounds familiar. It's because he is the announcer on my podcast. When we were recording the intro and the outro, we were goofing around and and he was coming up with all these alternative versions. Right, Brian? (laughs) Yep, it was fun. We had lots of laughs. They're going to wind up on the blooper reel. Maybe. So let's do do some of those. What? (laughs) Do some of (laughs) them. Oh, hi, my name is Diana Winkler. I'm from the South, and we're doing a podcast here in Alabama. (laughs) He had a few other ones, too. (laughs) Yeah, well... I'm not in the mood to do ventriloquism right now. Yeah, we did. We had some uh, problems with the uh, technical aspect of the Zoom. So um, we're just lucky to be up and running right now. So our listeners are going to get to know you a little better today. How about starting with where you're originally from? What, what was your childhood like? Well, I was a native Californian uh, for pretty much most of my life. Uh, During my fourth grade year, my father was transferred up north to the Bay Area, where I grew up uh, pretty much all the way through high school and stayed there up until the year 2000 when I moved to Florida. Uh, Childhood was pretty cool. Um, Had a real close family, my parents. Um, 
we're really close and I have three brothers. So uh, lots of typical brother uh, pranking and stuff going on in the household most of the time. But uh, my dad was a big jokester as well. So we got our uh, sense of humor from him pretty much. <laughs> were you raised in a Christian home? Uh, with Christian morals and ethics, I would say my uh, my father's uh, parents were very devout Christians and um, church. Uh, my parents didn't go to church uh, until later on. Um, even though my father was raised in a Christian home, he uh, he and my mom didn't really uh, have an interest in going to a church. I think it was more due to um, you know the way they were raised in a strict house and stuff like that and you know, which uh, can tend to push people away instead of bring them uh, to God. Because uh, when you feel like you have to live in fear to be a Christian, then you, you're not being taught the proper uh, love of Jesus. So, but later on, uh, my parents became uh, uh, churchgoers um, when uh, we were all out of the house. And my uh, parents started going to a uh, Baptist church and Concord, California, and then uh, when they moved up to the uh, 4,000 foot altitude in the Sierras, uh, they had a church in a city called Pioneer, which was a Baptist church that they went to as well. So all in all, I would say yes, we had Christian morals being raised. Uh, we, my parents were pretty strict. So out of us four brothers, I think I was probably one of the easiest ones on them because uh, I didn't have a very rebellious uh, teenage year life. I was really close with my mom and saw the hurt and stuff that she had uh, gone through with my oldest brother and my uh, second oldest brother, um, sneaking out of the house, uh, doing drugs and smoking and drinking and going through that whole uh, typical uh, rebellious type stuff in their uh, teenage years. And... Uh, so I saw that kind of hurt and really hit me uh, a lot harder. So I uh, basically made a promise to my mom I wouldn't put her through the same things that they did. I pretty much stuck to that. It was what kept us very close. So when did you make the decision to trust Jesus? When did that come into play? Bethany Baptist Church. Um, and they were coming around the neighborhood to... Uh, talk with the families, invite people to the church. And I started uh, attending Sunday school on my own um, for, I don't know how long. It was uh, back when I was eight years old and I uh, accepted the Lord uh, during one of the church services and then uh, got baptized in that same church um, between my eighth and ninth year of age. So, was that, was that these, the same church that you took me to? Yes, I show, we drove by. I showed you. No, that was Hope Center. Hope Center was where I went to when uh, I was uh, away from home after I moved out of the house. And, and I was doing some, uh, um, I was DJing at a uh, roller skating rink on Christian night. And most of the people that I met there uh, from that area were all going to Hope Center. So I gave it a shot and really liked it. That's where I was saved when I was eight years old. Yeah, we went and took a trip up to California, and he showed me where he grew up and his stomping grounds. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So I, I mentioned to the audience last time that we are musicians. 
So when did you start getting a love for music? Uh, probably when I was possibly still in diapers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my uh, parents always had music on and I always enjoyed uh, listening to uh, various styles of music. My dad had uh, anything from country uh, to uh, folk style music with uh, uh, Roger Whitaker. Um, he had some Elvis Presley stuff. Uh, I had Henry Mancini albums. I mean, just pretty much a big, vast variety of genres that my dad would play on his huge stereo system in our house that uh, the old fashioned uh, tower speakers and uh, all the separate components, you know, things like that, that uh, my dad used to enjoy. I actually inherited a couple things from his uh, stuff, his uh, Sennheiser headphones that I've had for a long time that uh, he used to kick back on the couch and listen to. And, but uh, yeah, I actually uh, couldn't tell you exactly when I started loving music. I just think I uh, loved music as soon as I came out of the womb. Yeah, you and me both. Um, so you're a drummer. So when did you start playing drums? Uh, I started playing pretty much uh, percussion instruments and stuff in fourth grade. Our uh, elementary school, they'd hand out these boxes of instruments to all the kids in the class, and we'd have like a music time like once a week on Fridays or something like that. So I started playing, uh, you know, tambourine and maracas and things like that. And um, when I was in uh, sixth or seventh grade, uh, my brother and they were all uh, set up and playing, you know, typical uh, 60s and 70s rock and roll. And my brother got up to uh, go to the bathroom after I'd sat there and watched him. So I uh, sat in on his drum set, started playing a beat. And then all of a sudden, the rest of the band started playing along with me. And we're getting a big kick out of some, uh, you know, an 11-year-old playing, sitting there playing drums. They were making funny comments when I came back my brother and said, yeah, your brother plays better than you and all <laughs> kinds of funny stuff. So that was my first experience actually playing drums in a band. So uh, I actually, uh, once I got into eighth grade and in high school, I started playing drums in our uh, school jazz bands. Uh, I took some lessons for uh, about six months uh, to learn the basics. Uh, but most of my uh, drum playing has all been by uh, what they call playing by ear. I can listen to a song and uh, pick out the beat and just practice it until I copy it and learn it. Um, so uh, I really enjoy uh, playing them. I still play today. Yeah, I'm really jealous of people that can play by ear because I, I learned how to play with sheet music. And I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do the by the ear thing. But yeah, Brian can listen to any song and just pick it right up. <laughs> yeah. So let's transition into some other topics. Uh, you got married early in life. So how many kids do you have? And feel free to share what, you, what you'd like about um, that part of your I life. Have, I have two kids, a daughter. Uh, she's in her uh, mid-30s right now. And then my son, Brian in his early 30s and uh, got married uh, pretty close to after high school. I wasn't out of high school very long and uh, I got married when I was uh, 20 years old. 
and uh, very young and didn't really, uh, I don't know, I guess I didn't have any uh, knowledge or experience or really uh, ask the right questions growing up to uh, verify if uh, somebody that I was getting married to was the right person in my life or not. So it was uh, not a very long lasting marriage. It was only a little less than four years. Um, there was a lot of hard, a lot of heartache and, and a lot of issues between the two of us when we grew apart that were very uh, detrimental to, uh, to each other's uh, life, I would say, um, just having uh, complete opposite views about things. Um, um, even though I was uh, very selfish growing up, uh, I never put uh, the health of somebody else in front of my own personal feelings, which is one of the things that separated us when my mom was uh, passing away in the late 80s. Um, my ex uh, basically uh, created some issues between the whole family that uh, was pretty much un uh, unreconcilable. I mean, I had lost all respect and fell out. I didn't have any love for her whatsoever after uh, the incident happened and I tried to stick it out, you know, for the kids trying to do the right thing. But uh, I realized that it was uh, probably the worst thing I could have done because uh, it uh, just created more anger and division. So in the long run, it affected uh, us both and also affected my relationship with my children. Yeah, you've told me this story many times. It's, it was really really difficult for you to go through that I know and um, I've forgotten to mention in my previous on the previous episode that I don't have any children and Brian and I do not have any children together um, if we could talk more about your parents you you lost your parents at a young age how did that affect you at such an important stage of your life you were in your 20s right um, yeah, my, uh, my mom was, uh, um, almost 51 when she passed away in 1987. She, uh, was, uh, two weeks before her 51st birthday. And, uh, we, um, it was a tough time. Uh, I remember, uh, being very angry at God for, uh, taking somebody so important to be away. Mm-hmm. And really didn't realize that uh, in the later years, it was probably uh, something that very much influenced uh, how I uh, live my life and treat people. Because you really don't know when your time is up. You know, both my parents were, uh, you know, pretty much chain smokers. The whole they grew, you know, growing up in the 40s and 50s where smoking was supposedly so cool that everybody did it. and. Mm -hmm. And uh, it ended up uh, coming back and uh, biting both my parents. My mom had pancreatic cancer. And uh, when they diagnosed it, she was already uh, almost stage four. So the doctors gave her uh, about six months to live. And she fought for two and a half years. So she had a real strong living spirit. And, uh, you know, I got to uh, see her uh, fight and realized that uh, she loved life more than anything. So 
you know, it was, uh, it was really difficult. And, you know, I was in my mid twenties and I have a younger brother who is five years younger than me. And he was, uh, 20 or 21 at the time. I mean, he was, he lost, he lost them, you know, at a time where he could never use them or call them to get help or anything. And, you know, at the time, there were some times where I, you know, talked to my parents and uh, stuff, but, um, you know, my, uh, my div divorce with, with my kids as mother, uh, was pretty much happened the same year my mom died and there was just so much going on in that at that time that uh it was just uh pretty much uh traumatic uh for me as as well as the rest of my family yeah i know so, that uh, you you met your mom and your dad very much you talk about them all the time and um and you've mentioned that that they would have liked me and i would have liked them yeah, you and my mom are uh, almost two peas in a pod when it comes to <laughs> comes to uh, creative and and being in sewing. She uh, loved to sew. She made a lot of her own clothes and fixed our clothes all the time and made all of her own square dance dresses because my parents were in a square dancing club. So you and her would have been able to really uh, sit side by side and talk about uh, dress designs and things like that. And she liked Sound of Music, so yeah, I like her. Yeah, she loved musicals. Like that, that was her favorite uh, favorite musical movie, definitely. And one of her favorite actors uh, she really loved was um, James Garner. So Rockford Files, when that came on, it was uh, pretty much a, you know, shut up, we're watching this show. If you don't want <laughs> to watch, go, go clean your room. So, yeah, it was uh, pretty fun. But... Uh, yeah, now my father, he was uh he was only 63. He died uh, you know, uh about 5 years later. He had uh multiple myeloma bone cancer and again, it was a cause because he smoked and and uh so he uh, suffered through a lot of pain uh because uh bone cancer is very painful. Uh you can if mm. you get sick, get sick and you cough real hard, you can break a bone which he broke a rib um they didn't know he had bone cancer until he actually broke one of the strongest bones in his body when he was mowing the yard he uh turned the lawnmower around to go back the other direction and there's a, a laterus bone that's about four or five inches long that's down in your hip and um and when they, that bone broke and uh, that's when they did more studies and testing and found out that he had multiple myeloma so uh, it was in a very advanced stage when they caught it. So he just uh, basically uh, lived lived his life out. He uh, didn't go through chemo or anything because it was too far advanced. So he just did what he could to, to uh, get along every day. Well, so, you have outlived your, your parents already. and Yeah, well, now, my dad, 63, and I just turned 58. So... Definitely outlived my mom by eight years. Mm -hmm. well, but, uh, we, uh, we know the importance of living each day like it's our last. That's a, a huge yeah, lesson definitely. for us. And we really try to take care of ourselves with eating right and exercise. And where did you go to college for? Well, after uh, many years of being a mechanic, I uh, was a mechanic right out of 
I went to a technical school in Laramie, Wyoming called WyoTech. And uh, as soon as I graduated, I found a job in California. I uh, went and took the test and got the, uh, the Bureau of Automotive Repair uh, state smog license, which uh, in California, if you get a smog license, uh, it's kind of like the gold ticket for Willy Wonka. You can pretty much get a job anywhere back in those days because it was a new program and a lot of people didn't have it. And so the fact that I pursued it so early on, um, it actually helped me make a better wage. Uh, back in those days, I was making uh, nearly what, uh, what I made my whole career uh, as a mechanic. And unfortunately, uh, going through divorce, I never got to reap the rewards from it because uh, half of my wage was going to child support for my kids and, and my ex. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a good career. And then uh, when I uh, had my kids down for a summer, it was uh, 1999, they came to spend the summer with me. And um, two weeks into it, I uh, was ice skating and I fell and broke my left shoulder and and I was laid up for uh, almost a full year and um, at that time. So I was on disability and when I was ready to go back to work, um, I hadn't fully uh, gotten my, uh, my abilities back in my arms. So I struggled with being a mechanic because I had to hold things differently because of pain and stuff like that. So um, I uh, ended up moving to Florida, which, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the band I was in in the 90s and even after high school, uh, the two bands I was predominantly in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I uh, moved to Florida uh, in 2000 and uh, decided to uh, pursue a new career. And after seeing a doctor, I qualified for vocation rehab and uh, was able to get a grant to go to college to be a graphic artist which if you're watching the video, the poster behind Diana there, I created for her. I do a lot of, uh, do a lot of uh, side work and logo designs. Anytime I uh, get into a band and we start gigging, I'll uh, design a logo to put on my drum, my bass drum. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like, you know, I also, when I was in Florida, after I went to college, I got a job at a print shop and I was working, uh, full-time doing uh, ads for uh, automotive tent sales. Uh, I did a, uh, a uh, Lake County Sheriff uh, full spread for, uh, for an election advertising. I did uh, dinner, uh, dinner, restaurant dinner menus and what they call corporate packets for uh, companies making business cards and letterheads and things like that. And I really enjoyed being creative on the computer because it allowed me to, to actually get some satisfaction in what I did. You know, thick car and making it run right was just kind of something I did because I knew it. And I, my, you know, I learned from a young age how to work on stuff because my dad was very mechanically inclined. So anytime my dad had the hood up on a car working on it, I was right there by his side and you know, watching him work and seeing and asking questions, probably the point like, go away, kid, you're bugging me. I can't fix the car. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, but uh, no, my dad was really cool with, uh, you know, explaining to me what he was doing and taking the carburetors apart and fixing them, things like that. So I just 
caught my interest at a real young age, and that's why I pursued it right out of high school. Yeah, but yeah after, after 27 years of being a mechanic, I really got burned out. I could have stuck with it once I fully healed, um, but I uh, I just got to a point where I didn't want to do it anymore and got burned out on it. So when It's I went, really hard on your body, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, tell us about your, your Messenger and Stone Biscuit days. You were in a Christian band. Um, yeah, Messenger was a Christian band based on uh, Bible prophecies. Um, all the lyrics were written by the keyboard player who composed all the music. And I um, took the place of the drummer who was in a bad accident and broke his foot. Uh, so he couldn't play drums for a long time. Um, but before that, and I got out of high school, I was in and out of a bunch of bands, you know, trying out this, trying out that. And I ended up getting with a group of guys. Um, and we got a lot of gigs. We were playing uh, basically classic rock and roll. And that's what Stone Biscuit was, was kind of a, a uh, play on words, uh, stone for rock and biscuit for rolls. And uh, so I <laughs> created a logo of of uh and the uh the biscuit part both the eyes and the word biscuit were actually a uh, 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 fender stratocaster and a gibson les paul <laughs> that's just, so cool so i just took a little bit of the uh the the neck out there at the head of the guitar where all the tuning uh, tuning stuff is I, I separated that to put the dot on the eyes and uh it was really cool it was fun but uh we had a lot of gigs a lot of good times Nobody cared about politics and any of that garbage because we were still young and dumb and really didn't care. <laughs> so uh, we were pretty much a bunch of different personalities and different uh, political beliefs as we got older. Um, but, uh, as far as just the music is what kept us together. And it was a, it was a fun time for many years. And then I, uh, Basically, when I joined Messenger, it was a it was a cool situation. They were an original progressive rock band, and so it was kind of a kind of a cool thing. I think it was meant to happen because of the way it went down. And I uh, ended up finding out that the, the two guys, uh, the guitar player and the keyboard bass player, uh, Mike and Johnny, uh, were both Christians, and we. Uh, started talking a lot. We had a lot of the same views on uh, what we believed and started uh, discussing that at times. And then uh, I went and uh, learned about five songs uh, off the CD that they made and uh, came back and uh, pretty much nailed it on the first audition. And they, uh, they picked me over a couple other people to, to join the band. And we were together for quite a long time from I think it was like uh, late 93 up until 2003 uh, when we played. I uh, was with them in California uh, up until uh, 1997. And then uh, we had uh, split up for a while to take some time off. After uh, a couple of years went by, he calls up me and Johnny and say, hey, you guys want to move to Florida and get the band back together, which was uh, like, all out of left field and I'm like wow that's a big big change but I had gone through such uh such hard issues and disappointment with my divorce uh with with uh my kids' mom that you know I thought okay you know what three thousand miles away 
it's a good, I think I'll try it and, you know, start all over when I get there and see what I can do with my life. And, um, for a little bit, it was good, but all in all, after eight years, um, um, uh, it was, I tell people it's eight years of my life. I'll never get back. Yeah. Um, Florida. Uh, Florida, Florida was not definitely not a, uh, uh, a state that, uh, fit my lifestyle or, um, I never acclimated it. I couldn't stand the humidity. Um, the running joke constantly when I talk about it is the only state I've lived in where you work up a sweat, taking a shower. <laughs> um, you don't, you know, you get out and you dry off and you don't feel like you're dried off. It's just miserable. Um, so unless you love Disney or, you know, you like bugs and crocodiles, it's, yeah. Well, I tell people if you're not a if you're not a beach bum or a Disney nut, you're gonna hate Florida because that's about the only two cool things about it. They got some beautiful, awesome beaches, and then you got uh, basically Disney World there and a lot of Disney stuff are around it. Um, so that's really it's a tourist. It's for tourists and uh, people that like to, to live a beach life. Back to Messenger, you have this crazy story that you told me about um, when you were with Messenger involving the uh, the Freemasons. Would you like oh, to share yeah. that? Um, yeah, hopefully, because uh, if you you can't really talk about them uh, in real depth, uh, if you get too deep, they uh, they're a very powerful uh, group of people even to this day. Um, we uh, had a uh, a gig lined up with Messenger. We were going to play uh, outdoors. It was a Fourth of July uh, festival in a park uh, with a uh, stage and everything. We had the uh, pretty much like the headlining spot at two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, the first year we had it, and uh, we were all excited. We uh, really practiced hard to get ready. And when we got to uh, the park and had all of our stuff unloaded backstage. Um, we basically were told that we were uh, kicked off the list um, because another band had priority over us and really didn't know why all that. It was just, you know, we were really upset about it. And uh, Mike ended up finding out that the sound man who worked for the city booted us off the roster and put his personal friend's band in place of ours. And um, so... We started, uh, Mike started pursuing, uh, you know, finding out what happened, got with, because the Elks Lodges who hired us, Elks or Moose, I think it was the Moose Lodge, actually. <laughs> um, they hired us because they were, you know, representative of the city of Clay. Um, so Mike got a hold of the guy that uh, got us the spot, and he said that it was a huge mistake and that um unfortunately uh the guy that did that uh, had no right to do that and was really pulling for us to uh you know to to take our side so a year later um mike and him connect and they get us the same exact spot the next year again we uh worked hard to get ready for it we had uh, 90 minutes of music we were going to play in front of a huge probably thousands of people in this big festival and we were so blown away that the exact same thing happened again mm. by the same guy that um, Mike ended up a newspaper and, and talked about it. And they actually put an article. So Mike uh, got a hold of a, um, 
local um, representative lawyer from the Rutherford Institute, which is uh, supposedly a, a legal firm to fight against religious discrimination because we believe that's what it was because they knew we were a Christian band. And uh, he started to file a lawsuit and uh, at the, uh, against the city of religious discrimination. At that time, Mike didn't know, but uh, when he went into the lawyer's office and sat and had went over all the stuff, he noticed on the wall that this guy had a plaque stating that he was a 33rd degree Mason, this lawyer. Um, so when he uh, saw that, he just went thought it was weird. Um, so then he uh, went to uh, to discuss the situation with uh, with uh, the uh, city of Con um, bunch of people for uh, in position for uh, the city. I think the mayor, um, some of the uh, their their um, their legal uh, legal people. They're all talking around, you know, about the situation, you know, and they're like, you know, trying to tell Mike, you know, we we wish you wouldn't uh, move forward with this lawsuit and yada yada. And Mike's looking at the guy he's talking to on the city council of uh, the head of the city council. And and this guy's wearing a 33rd degree Masonic ring. And so Mike, for those that don't know what that means, can you briefly tell me? Oh, a 33rd degree Mason is the highest uh, level you can become in the, in the Masonic Lodge. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely somebody who's got a lot of power. Um, and, and most people don't know. I mean, you can Google it and, and look it up. Mm -hmm. They have shows on the History Channel now that you can watch, and a lot of it is just, uh, you know, it's kind of like this whole big uh, supposed conspiracy of of uh, this this group and everything. But uh, it's not a conspiracy; it's a fact because we were all directly affected by it. And uh, so, what happened know, with your band? So, uh, what happened is Mike uh, Mike was uh, during this whole process. He him and and uh, his brother-in-law went to uh, a golf course and, and they were playing a round of 18 holes. And on the ninth hole, a, uh, a council member and a sheriff joined them on the 10th hole. And next thing you know, aren't you that, aren't you that guy that's uh, filing a lawsuit for the religious discrimination? Ooh. And Mike, wow, this is really weird. So he started realizing that these people are, are powerful enough to back in what he's doing in his daily life. Oh, wow. And um, so Mike, uh, Mike basically was talking, and he said one of the guys was taking a warm-up swing with his club, and he, and he uh, hit a bunch of dirt into Mike's uh, direction, you know, just being, uh, just, just uh, you know, intimidating him. And uh, with good reason, because after Mike did some uh, looking into uh, what happens when you uh, try to take some, take this type of situation to court, and the people that are directly involved are are, in, are coming after coming after you and intimidating you in a way, he ended up having to drop the lawsuit. And the final straw he did was there was a day where. Um, it was during a weekday. We were all living in separate places. We all worked away from home. And I got home at about quarter after five in the, play, in the, in the apartment I was renting. I found my front door was unlocked and left open about an inch. Wow. So anybody could have walked right in. Well, lo and behold, Mike's house 
they did the same thing. And Johnny's house, they did the same thing all on the same day. And when that happened, Mike uh, realized um, he's not going to put his, his family in, in jeopardy anymore. He dropped the lawsuit, which is exactly what they wanted. And we went on it. We went on our merry way. But yeah, it's, it's a very serious situation. And they can basically take you out and then make it look like you committed suicide if it got to that point. So yeah, there was a lot of a lot of bad bad things around that. So we just chalked it up to a life experience and we moved on from that point and So and you were uh, a Christian, so what was your relationship with God at that time? Uh my relationship with God was personal. It wasn't really um uh church related because uh after a while I realized there's a lot of hypocrisy in the church. And I just felt like, you know, that I didn't belong in a lot of the places that I would go to. And um, so I just, uh, you know, I, I never lost my faith in God or my belief in, in being a Christian. It's just um, there's a lot of situations that uh, made me uh, realize that, uh, you know, it's kind of a, you know, to be a Christian doesn't mean you go to church all the time. It means you believe in God and that Jesus died to save your soul right. and you can live through eternity. Going to mm -hmm. church basically gets you around a group of people that helps in, in, in enhance your faith. Exactly. And if you're not around the right people or if you're in a, you know, a hypocritical church, uh, then you realize those kind of people are, more, are worse off than people that don't go to church. Mm -hmm. I had more friends that weren't Christians than I did that were ones that uh, were Christians were uh, were more Christian like than the than the people that called themselves Christians but treated people like dirt That's like in class citizens so it's amazing you know yourself um, yes. how bad the uh, church can get against people just because of, of uh, a situation that you're you have no control over and yet you're you're treated like it's all your fault. So you had a very serious wake-up call that changed your life. You almost died. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, well, I was living in Florida in um, the year uh, 19 or no, 2004. Um, it was uh, on a Thursday, November 11th. Um, after uh, taking four days off of work because I thought I had the flu, I woke up the fourth day on that Thursday going into anaphylactic shock because I had a ruptured colon. And uh, I was about pretty much uh, two hours or less away from dying ahead, uh, and I got rushed to the hospital at the time. And I found out that I had diverticulitis that uh, one ruptured, and I was actually uh, poisoning myself. So, um, the uh, lady doctor that saved my life uh, explained to me what happened and how close I was to being, you know, close to dying. So it was a very tough time. Um, I went from 230 pounds uh, to 168 pounds in less than five months. Yeah, and, you still uh, have that driver's license that you show yep. people. Yeah, I look like a meth addict. I yeah. mean, it was it was I was skinny frail so it was uh it was definitely my wake-up call God was telling me you need to get your life straight smoking a lot of marijuana drinking a lot uh even though I'm in a quote Christian band uh our message had gone 
to to uh, basically partying and playing instead of uh, playing for the for God, and God basically yanked the rug right out from under us, mm-hmm. and had good reason. Yeah. So it well, was uh, it was something that uh, was tough to go through, um, but again, I uh, survived, and and uh, still have issues today. I mean, I go through. Uh, a lot of uh, issues. Uh, one of the side effects I have from having that kind of surgery done is uh, I ended up with ulcerative colitis, which I've been suffering from this whole year. Yes. And uh, find out uh, next week uh, what the doctor can do for me, medicine-wise, to change. So, so you celebrate yeah. that day that you celebrate that. Well, not celebrate, but you mark that day. Of your ruptured colon, it's what 11, 11, 11 or something. Well, 11, 11 is uh, the date, November 11th, 11, 11, and I was just totally ignoring uh, the fact that God was trying to uh, let me know because for six months before that day, every day, didn't matter what time of day it was, whether it was the evening hours or the or the early hours, I'd either see it was 11, 11 a.m. or 11, 11 p.m. Or I'd see an address with 11, 11 in it. It was just, I mean, it was something to the point where it got to be so predominant that I even was telling Mike and Johnny about it in Messenger. I said, this is crazy. I don't know why I'm seeing this. And then six months later, you know, I almost die on 11, 11. So... Was it a what is a message from God trying to get me to recognize something? I believe it was. Amen. Just, be, just because um, after the fact, I recognized it, and you know, and to this day, I mean, I I still get reminded. I see eleven eleven a lot, you know, and I don't even look for it. That was the whole thing. It's not like it was something freaking me out where I just sit and stare at the clock till it turned eleven eleven. I just I wonder what time it is. Oh, it's eleven eleven. Wow, that's weird. Oh. Yeah, so God knows that you're into numerology, so that was one of the methods he used to yeah. get your attention. So. Yeah, what's funny is the number 11 in biblical numerics, if you uh, look it up, it, uh, it, it stands for uh, chaos and disorder. Mm. Interesting. You have great stories, Brian. We'll have to do a part two here. So Brian will continue next week with the story about suffering from spiritual abuse. He will have some fun telling his side of our love story. And he'll have some advice for survivors. So come back here next week. So long, farewell, Advita saying goodnight, I hate to go and leave this pretty side. No, I think we'll close with a song we did together. I wrote a song called I'm Not Addicted to Facebook. Uh, I hope you like it. We had fun recording it. So until next week, do one thing, one small thing today to get you closer to your healing goals. God bless. I'm not addicted to Facebook. I can quit anytime I want. I 
Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.